couple of broadcasts ago, I told the story of my friend Mohan, who lived in a village where he learned to bring blood sacrifices to a banyan tree where a god named Polarama was said to live. Today, we'll tell the rest of Mohan's story. This is the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're looking at Romans chapter 3, verse 25, where Paul tells us that God made Jesus a propitiation in his blood. That is, Christ's sacrifice placated the anger of God. Now we've asked, how is this doctrine not some odd pagan holdover from a dark primitive mind? And today, we give the answer. John Stott, in his work on the book of Romans, and also in a wonderful book on the cross of Jesus Christ, has given an answer, and he's differentiated this propitiation that takes place before our our God and those pagan notions that we've just talked about. There are three points he makes, and the first one is this. First, he says, see that propitiation is necessary. We must see that it is necessary, and we must understand why. The pagan believes that propitiation is necessary because the gods are ill-tempered, in a bad mood, and periodically they act in fits of rage. But the Christian says, no, no, not true. God is holy. God is righteous. God is a God of love. And his anger falls on what is unholy and unrighteous and unloving. And there's nothing unprincipled or nothing unpredictable or nothing uncontrolled about God's anger. It is aroused by evil alone. God's wrath does not fall indiscriminately. It falls upon those things that transgress against his will and his purposes because his will and his purposes are designed to bring his loving influence and effect on our lives. The Lord Jesus went in the temple two different occasions, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, at the end of his earthly ministry. He found that there were money changers who had taken over the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles were to be received and be a part of the worship of the nation of Israel and to come before the God of Israel to make their prayers known and to bring their sacrifices. And there in this court of the Gentiles, they'd set up a marketplace in which they could sell and barter with people and they could basically manipulate people and their desires to be right with God in order to enrich themselves. And the Lord Jesus was indignant about this. They had made the house of prayer that was his father's house of prayer, and they turned it in, Jesus said, into a den of thieves and robbers. I imagine he was becoming more and more indignant as he did it. He was putting together a whip, and he was constructing a whip. And then after he constructed the whip, he went out among where they were selling their wares, and he was flipping over tables. Coins were flying everywhere. His lash of the whip was falling upon these individuals who were trying to enrich themselves on the instinct and desires of people to be right with God. What I would suggest to you was that in all that the Lord Jesus did, not one coin that flew from a table struck an innocent bystander who had just come to bring a sacrifice before God. Not one lash of the whip fell upon an individual who just humbly was coming because he wanted to come into the presence of God and be right with God. God's anger, God's outpouring of animosity is towards evil. That must be turned aside. That must be placated. That must be answered. Here's a second thing we need to see here. It's who it is that does the propitiating. Who it is that authors the response that satisfies wrath. In the pagan mind, the person has to do the acting. They have to bring the sacrifice. 
they have to offer it up and pour out its blood. They must pay the cost and give whatever bribe is necessary or demanded by the angry God. But the Christian says, there's nothing that you can do to turn away the wrath and anger of God and of yourself. There's nothing that you can do to quiet his anger, his just anger against sin. But God loves the very ones whose sins he hates. I could add that God hates us as sinners, but he loves us as creatures made in his image, made to know him, made to be with him, made to glorify him and enjoy him. But he, he hates us. He hates us as sinners. And yet in undeserved love, God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Done it because in his own holiness and because his own justice requires it and his love requires it. And these meet together so that God would provide himself as the propitiating and atoning sacrifice. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says this. In this is love. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now Jesus wasn't this innocent victim who unwillingly went at the Father's design, but this is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who before creating all things and knowing the sin that we fall in, determined that they themselves would give of themselves for our salvation and to satisfy God's own justice. If you look back upon our text, I want you to see this and not miss it, and I referred to it early on in the message that God was the one acting in all of this. The very end of verse 24 says, Jesus, Christ Jesus, and now it describes him, whom God set forth as a propitiation. And that word there, set forth, can mean God proposed, but either way, it, it speaks of something that God has established, something that God has carried out. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. You might take your Bibles and let's read that together. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 14, 17 of the same, in a sense, propitiating act in which God's judgment and wrath that should come upon sinful individuals comes upon and will come upon him instead. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Here's Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, spiritual leader in all of Israel. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever or whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, we might read in other portions of Scripture, and we might think that sinful men crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's true, they did. But it was God who lifted him up. It was God who set him forth as a public example for all to see and for us. He takes upon himself God's own wrath against sin. God inflicts his righteous anger upon God to turn away that anger from us. Here's how Stott sums it up. The love, the idea, the purpose, the initiative, the action, and the gift were all God's. They were all God's. He brings the propitiation. He brings the thing that propitiates. The third thing is, how was God propitiated? How was his wrath satisfied? And the pagan says, we bribe the gods with what they crave. 
I've been on the island of Bali, and I've discovered on the island of Bali that they plates of food every morning and every night. And so they put out food every morning and every night on their door stoop. And not only that, apparently they like food to be a certain color. And so all the food, it doesn't matter what it is, is all dyed the same color. I don't know why that is, but that's what the gods want. And they want flowers as well to be served to them. And you'll see on the mountaintops around the island of Bali, there are beautiful fields where these beautiful flowers are raised. It's gorgeous, but they're raised in order to provide a flower. Every morning, they like a nice flower on their plate. Every morning and every evening. And that will placate the god. That will satisfy the god if they feed him in that manner. And and Megatopoli, the prophetess of the goddess Polarama, went about telling the people that Polarama says, Give me blood. Give me blood. That's what will placate him. That's what will satisfy him. Mohan tells the story of how it was that he became a Christian. He left the city of Megatopoli to go to a large city in another state in order to wait to see if he get a visa to go and work in Dubai. And that would be that he was the oldest son, it was the family's hope, it was his wife's hope that he would be able to provide for the rest of the family. And while he was in this other state, no one spoke the language that he spoke. And so he couldn't communicate on the streets at all. He was a stranger, he felt vulnerable. And it took some time for the visa to come through. In fact, it took a long time. There was only one book in the place where he was staying that was in his own language, and it was the Bible. So he had nothing else to do, and so he began reading the Bible. It was an opportunity for him to learn about this God that his wife worshipped. And so he read all the way through the Old Testament. And then after he came to the Old Testament, he entered into the New Testament. He began reading the Gospels. And as he came to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he saw that this one who had been sent sheds his blood for the forgiveness of sins. This shocked him and stunned him, and he thought maybe he had read it wrong, so he read the next Gospel, the same thing. And then he read in the Gospel of John, and as he's reading through the Gospel of John, and reading through it, he sees not only that this is the Son of God, but this is God come in the flesh. That God had revealed Himself in the Son and come in the flesh, and it was God Himself that was giving Himself in sacrifice for the sins of those that were even crucifying Him. And when he came to that point, this thought hit him like a sledgehammer. My God... My village God cries out, give me blood, give me blood, give me blood. And the Christian God, the God who is the maker of heaven and earth and the creator of all things, gives us his blood for our sins and the sins that we have committed. And it overwhelmed him. And immediately his thought was, this is the God who made all things. This is the God who has given all things to me and I have not worshipped him. Oh God, forgive me for worshiping any other God but you. You are the God I will worship. You are the God. And it dawned on him, my wife has been praying, save my husband. And this is what salvation is. It's coming under the blood that he shed for me and believing in him alone. And then he thought, well, let me see. My wife is in that village praying for me. And God is answering her prayer here in this city that I'm living in. And God, if you're here, then that means you're in Dubai as well. God, if you can answer prayer, I still need to provide for my family. Would you please get a visa and release me so I can go to Dubai? And the very next day, a paper arrives for him, and he's free to go on to Dubai. And well, He goes on to Dubai and provides the income for his family to all be educated. And then when all his siblings are educated, they say, we want to provide for your education. Where do you want to go to school? And he says, well, I want to go to seminary. I want to go to a Bible college. I want to learn how to be a 
proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. And he went back to his village in Megatopoli. And one of the first people he led to Christ was the prophetess of Polarama. And the tree where Polarama resided was cut down, and that's where the church was started in that village. That's what God does. That's how God answers our sin and our fallenness and brokenness. In paganism, humans work hard to placate angry gods with their actions. But in Christianity, God, with great love for us, drinks in on the cross his own holy indignation and righteous wrath against evil. Jesus, God's free and gracious gift to us, suffered the wrath of our sins, took the wage of our death, satisfied the righteous judgment of God by bearing its punishment. Thus, our last quote from John Stott, Stott wonderfully and ironically says this, God himself gave himself to save us from himself and to bring us into his love. How wonderful. What a provision. What a work, a mysterious work. Don't go too deeply into it. It's a mystery. Tis mystery all the immortal dies. Who can explain this strange design? But we worship Him and we bring glory to Him. Such a work is worthy of God who will not relent in His justice but did not relent in His love for us either. His love for the unjust who He saved through Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening in today to The Bread of Life. Keep the missionaries of Church Partnership Evangelism in your prayers as they work in Ecuador and Cambodia and India and Indonesia and Greece and Bulgaria to release the body of Christ as His witnesses. Find out more by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.